Hello all. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Newswana podcast. And last time we were left with a cliffhanger. The cliffhanger was that the tour had officially begun. We did not see the tour. And today we are going to start directly with the tour. Okay, so let's start with chapter 7. They started at the box, which was closed at the moment. Double doors of metal, lying flat on the ground, covered in white paint, faded and cracked. The day had brightened considerably, the shadows stretching in the opposite direction from what Thomas had seen yesterday. He still hadn't spotted the sun, but it looked like it was about to pop over the eastern wall at any minute. Albie pointed down at the doors. This, here's the box. Once a month, we get a newbie like you. Never fails. Once a week, we get supplies, clothes, some food. Ain't needing a lot, pretty much run ourselves in the glade. Thomas nodded, his whole body itching with the desire to ask questions. I need some tape to put over my mouth, he thought. We don't know jack about the box, you get me? Albie continued. Where it came from, how it gets us here, who's in charge. The shanks that sent us here ain't told us nothing. We got all the electricity we need, grow and raise most of our food, get clothes and such. Tried to send a slinted greenie back in the box one time. Thing wouldn't move until we took him out. Thomas wondered what lay under the doors when the box wasn't there, but held his tongue. He felt such a mixture of emotions, curiosity, frustration, wonder, all laced with the lingering horror of seeing the cleaver that morning. Albie kept talking, never bothering to look Thomas in the eye. Glades cut into four sections. He held up his fingers as he counted up the next four words. Gardens, bloodhouse, homestead, deadheads. You got that? Thomas hesitated, then shook his head, confused. Albie's eyelids fluttered briefly as he continued. He looked like he could think of a thousand things he'd rather be doing right then. He pointed to the northeast corner where the fields and fruit trees were located. Gardens, where we grow the crops. Waters pumped the pipes in the ground. Always has been, or we'd have starved to death a long time ago. Never rains here. Never. He pointed to the southeast corner at the animal pens and barn. Bloodhouse, where we raise and slaughter animals. He pointed to the pitiful living quarters. Homestead. Stupid place is twice as big than when the first of us got here because we keep adding to it when they send us wood and clunk. Ain't pretty, but it works. Most of us sleep outside anyway. Thomas felt dizzy. So many questions splintered his mind. He couldn't keep them straight. Albie pointed to the southwest corner, the forest area fronted with several sickly trees and benches. Call that the deadheads. Graveyards back in that corner and the thicker woods. Ain't much else. You can go there to sit and rest, hang out, whatever. He cleared his throat as if wanting to change subjects. You'll spend the next two weeks working one day apiece for our different job keepers until we know what you're best at. Slopper, Bricknick, Bagger, track hoe. Something will stick. Always does. Come on. Albie walked towards the south door, located between what he called the deadheads and the bloodhouse. Thomas followed, wrinkling his nose up at the sudden smell of dirt and manure coming from the animal pens. Graveyard? He thought. Why do they need a graveyard in a place full of teenagers? That disturbed him even more than not knowing some of the words Albie kept saying. Words like slopper and bagger that didn't sound so good. He came as close to interrupting Albie as he'd done so far, but pulled his mouth shut. Frustrated, he turned his attention to the pens in the bloodhouse area. Several cows nibbled and chewed at a trough full of greenish hay. Pigs lounged in a muddy pud, an occasionally flickering tail, 
the only sign they were around. Another pen held sheep, and there were chicken coops and turkey cages as well. Workers bustled about the area, looking as if they'd spent their whole lives on a farm. Why do I remember these animals? Thomas wondered. Nothing about them seemed new or interesting. He knew what they were called, what they normally ate, what they looked like. Why was stuff like that still lodged in his memory, but not where he'd seen animals before or with whom? His memory loss was baffling in its complexity. Albie pointed to the large barn in the back corner. Its red paint long faded to a dull rust colour. Back there's where the slicers work. Nasty stuff, that. Nasty. If you like blood, you can be a slicer. Thomas shook his head. Slicer didn't sound good at all. As they kept walking, he focused his attention on the other side of the glade, the section Albie had called the dead heads. The trees grew thicker and denser the farther back in the corner they went, more alive and full of leaves. Dark shadows filled the depths of the wooded area, despite the time of the day. Thomas looked up, squinting to see that the sun was finally visible, though it looked odd, more orange than it should be. It hit him that this was yet another example of the odd selective memory in his mind. He returned his gaze to the dead heads. A glowing disc still floated in his vision. Blinking to clear it away, he suddenly caught the red lights again, flickering and skittering about deep in the darkness of the woods. What are those things? He wondered, irritated that Albie hadn't answered him earlier. The secrecy was very annoying. Albie stopped walking and Thomas was surprised to see They'd reached the south door, the two walls bracketing the exit towered above them. The thick slabs of grey stone were cracked and covered in ivy as ancient as anything Thomas could imagine. He craned his neck to see the top of the walls far above. His mind spun with the odd sensation that he was looking down, not up. He staggered back a step, aved once again by the structure of his new home, then finally returned his attention to Albie, who had his back to the Exit. Out there is the maze. Albie chapped a thumb over his shoulder, then paused. Thomas stared in that direction, through the gap in the walls that served as an exit for the glade. The corridors out there looked much the same as the ones he'd seen from the window by the east door early that morning. This thought gave him a chill, made him wonder if a griever might come charging toward them at any minute. He took a step backward before realizing what he was doing. Calm down, he chided himself, embarrassed. Albie continued. Two years I've been here. Ain't none been here longer. The few before me are already dead. Thomas felt his eyes widen, his heart quickened. Two years we've tried to solve this thing. No luck. Shuck and walls move out there at night just as much as these here doors. Mapping it out ain't easy. Ain't easy, no how. He nodded towards the concrete block building into which the runners had disappeared the night before. Another stab of pain sliced through Thomas's head. There were too many things to compute at once. They'd been here two years. The walls moved out in the maze. How many had died? He stepped forward, wanting to see the maze for himself, as if the answers were printed on the walls out there. Albie held out a hand and pushed Thomas in the chest, sent him stumbling backward. Ain't no going out there, Shank. Thomas had to suppress his pride. Why not? You think I sent Nutria before the wake-up just for kicks? Freak, that's the number one rule. The only one you'll never be forgiven for breaking. Ain't nobody, nobody allowed in the maze except the runners. Break that rule and if you ain't killed by the grievers, we'll kill you ourselves. You get me? 
Thomas nodded, grumbling inside, sure that Albie was exaggerating, hoping that he was. Either way, if he had any doubt about what he told Chuck the night before, it had now completely vanished. He wanted to be a runner. He would be a runner. Deep inside, he knew he had to go out there, into the maze. Despite everything he'd learned and witnessed firsthand, it called to him as much as hunger or thirst. A movement up on the left wall of the south door caught his attention. Startled, he reacted quickly, looking just in time to see a flash of silver. A patch of ivy shook as the thing disappeared into it. Thomas pointed up at the wall. What was that? he asked before he could be shut down again. Alby didn't bother looking. No questions till the end, Shank. How many times have I got to tell you? He paused. Then let out a sigh. Beetle bleeds. It's how the creators watch us. You better not. He was cut off by a booming, ringing alarm that sounded from all directions. Thomas clamped his hands to his ears, looking around as the siren bled. His heart about to thump its way out of his chest. But when he focused back on Albie, he stopped. Albie was attacking scared. He appeared confused, surprised. The alarm clanked through the air. What's going on? Thomas asked. Relief flooded his chest that his two guide didn't seem to think the world was about to end. But even so, Thomas was getting tired of being hit by waves of panic. That's weird, was all Albie said as he scanned the glade, squinting. Thomas noticed people in the bloodhouse pens glancing around, apparently just as confused. One shouted to Albie, a short, skinny kid drenched in mud. What's up with that? The boy asked, looking to Thomas for some reason. I don't know. Albie murmured back in a distant voice. But Thomas couldn't stand in more. Albie, what's going on? The box, shock face. The box, was all Albie said before he set off for the middle of the glade, at a brisk pace that almost looked to Thomas like panic. What about it? Thomas demanded, hurrying to catch up. Talk to me. He wanted to scream at him. But Albie didn't answer or slow down, and as they got closer to the box, Thomas could see that dozens of kids were running around the courtyard. He spotted Newt and called to him, trying to suppress his rising fear, telling himself things would be okay, that there had to be a reasonable explanation. Newt, what's going on? he yelled. Newt glanced over at him, then nodded and walked over, strangely calm in the middle of the chaos. He spatted Thomas on the back. Means a bloody new beast coming up in the box. He paused as if expecting Thomas to be impressed. Right now. So? As Thomas looked more closely at Newt, he realized what he'd mistaken for calm was actually disbelief, maybe even excitement. So? Newt replied, his jaw dropping slightly. Greenie, we've never had two newbies show up in the same month, much less two days in a row. And with that, he ran off toward the homestead. That was, that was amazing, right? A newbie shows up just the day after Thomas shows up. Is it kind of related? What do you think? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so let's start with chapter 8. The alarm finally stopped after blaring for a full two minutes. A crowd was gathered in the middle of the courtyard around the sealed doors through which Thomas was startled to realize he'd arrived just yesterday. Yesterday, he thought. Was that really just yesterday? Someone tapped him on the elbow. He looked over to see Chuck by his side again. How goes it, Greenbean? Chuck asked. Fine, he replied even though nothing could have been further from the truth. He pointed toward the door of the box. 
Why is everyone freaking out? Isn't this how you all got here? Chuck shrugged. I don't know. Guess it's always been real, regular life. Once a month, every month, same day. Maybe whoever was in charge realized you were nothing but a big mistake, sent someone to replace you. He giggled as he elbowed Thomas in the ribs, a high-pitched snicker that inexplicably made Thomas like him more. Thomas shot his new friend a fake glare. You're annoying. Seriously? Yeah, but we're buddies now, right? Chuck fully laughed this time, a squeaky sort of snort. Looks like you're not giving me much choice in that one. But truth was, needed a friend and Chuck would do just fine. The kid folded his arms, looking very satisfied. Glad that settled, Greeny. Everyone needs buddy in this place. Thomas grabbed Chuck by the collar, joking around. Okay, buddy, then call me by my name. Thomas, or I'll throw you down the hole after the box leaves. That triggered a thought in his head as he released Chuck. Wait a minute. Have you guys ever tried it? Chuck interrupted before Thomas could finish. Right what? Going down in the box after it makes delivery, Chuck answered. It won't do it. Won't go down until it's completely empty. Thomas remembered Albie telling him that very thing. I already knew that, but what about tried it? Thomas had to suppress a groan. This was getting very irritating. Man, you're hard to talk to. Tried what? Going through the hole after the box goes down. Can't. Doors will open, but there's just emptiness, blackness, nothing. No ropes, nada. Can't do it. How could that be possible? Did you? Tried it. Thomas did groan this time. Okay, what? We threw some things into the hole. Never heard them land. It goes on for a long time. Thomas paused before he replied, not wanting to be cut off again. What are you? A mind reader or something? He threw as much sarcasm as he could into the comment. Just brilliant, that's all. Chuck winged. Chuck never winked at me, Thomas said it with a smile. Chuck was a little annoying, but there was something about him that made things seem less terrible. Thomas took a deep breath and looked back toward the crowd around the hole. So how long until the delivery gets here? Usually it takes about half an hour after the alarm. Thomas thought for a second. There'll had to be something they hadn't tried. You are sure about the hole? Have you ever... He paused waiting for the interruption, but none came. Have you ever tried making a rope? Yeah, they did. With the ivy. Longest one they could possibly make. Let's just say that experiment didn't go so well. What do you mean? What now? Thomas thought. I wasn't here, but I heard the kid who volunteered to do it had only gone down about 10 feet when something swooshed through the air and cut him clean in half. What? Thomas laughed. I don't believe that for a second. Oh yeah, smart guy. I've seen the sucker's bones, cut in half like a knife through whipped cream. They keep him in a box to remind future kids not to be so stupid. Thomas waited for Chuck to laugh or smile, thinking it had to be a joke. Whoever heard of something being cut in half, but it never came. He was serious. Chuck just stared back at him. I don't like me. Oh, Thomas? Come on, let's go over and see who's coming today. I can't believe you only have to be the green bean for one day. Clunkhead. As they walked over, Thomas asked the one question he hadn't posed yet. How do you know it's not just supplies or whatever? The alarm doesn't go off when that happens, Chuck answered simply. The supplies come up at the same time every week. Hey, look. Chuck stopped and pointed to someone in the crowd. It was Gally, staring dead at him. Shut up. He does not like you, man. 
Yeah, Thomas muttered. Figured that out already. And the feeling was mutual. Chuck nudged Thomas with his elbow and the boys resumed their walk to the edge of the crowd. Then waited in silence. Any questions Thomas had were forgotten. He'd lost the urge to talk after seeing Gally. Chuck apparently hadn't. Why don't you ask him what his problem is? He asked, trying to sound tough. Thomas wanted to think. He was brave enough, but that currently sounded like the worst idea in history. Well, for one, he has a lot more allies than I do. Not a good person to pick a fight with. Yeah, but you're smarter, and I bet you're quicker. You could take him and all his buddies. One of the boys standing in front of them looked back over his shoulder, annoyance crossing his face. Must be a friend of Gary's, Thomas thought. Would you shut it? He hissed at Chuck. A door closed behind them. Thomas turned it to see Abby and Newt, heading over from the homestead. They both looked exhausted. Seeing them brought Ben back to his mind, along with the horrific image of him frithing in bed. Chuck, man, you gotta tell me what this whole changing business is. What have they been doing in there with that poor Ben kid? Chuck shrugged. Don't know the details. The creoles do bad things to you. Make your whole body go through something awful. When it's over, you're different. Thomas sensed a chance to finally have a solid answer. Different? What do you mean? And what does it have to do with the grievers? Is that what Galen means by being stung? Shh. Chuck held a finger to his mouth. Thomas almost screamed in frustration, but he kept quiet. He resolved to make Chuck tell him later whether the guy wanted to or not. Albie and Newt had reached the crowd and pushed themselves to the front, standing right over the doors that led to the box. Everyone quieted. And for the first time, Thomas noted the grinds and rattles of the rising lift reminding him of his own nightmarish trip the day before. Sadness washed over him, almost as if he were reliving those few terrible minutes of awakening in darkness to the memory loss. He felt sorry for whoever this new kid was, going through the same things. A muffled boom announced that a bizarre elevator had arrived. Thomas watched in anticipation as Newt and Albie took positions on opposite sides of the shaft doors. A crack split the middle square right down the middle. Simple hook handles were attached on both sides and together they yanked them apart. With a metallic scrape, the doors were opened and a puff of dust from the surrounding stone rose into the air. Complete silence settled over the gladers. As Newt leaned over to get a better look into the box, the faint bleating of a goat in the distance echoed across the courtyard. Thomas leaned forward as far as he possibly could, hoping to get a glance at the newcomer. With a sudden jerk, Newt pushed himself back into an upright position. His face crunched up in confusion. Holly! He breathed, looking around at nothing in particular. By this time, Albie had gotten a good look as well with a similar reaction. No way! He muttered almost in a trance. A chorus of questions filled the air as everyone began pushing forward to get a look into the small opening. What do they see down there? Thomas wondered. What do they see? He felt a sliver of muted fear similar to what he'd experienced that morning when he stepped toward the window to see the griever. Hold on, Albion, silencing everyone. Just hold on. Well, what's wrong? Someone yelled back. Albi stood up. Two newbies in two days, he said, almost in a whisper. Now this. Two years, nothing different. Now this. Then for some reason, he looked straight at Thomas. What's going on here, Dini? Thomas stared back, confused, his face turning bright red, his gut clenching. How am I supposed to know? Why don't you just tell us what the shock is down there? 
Albie. Galley called out. There were more mumbles and another surge forward. You shan't shut up, Albie yelled. Tell him, Newt. Newt looked down in the box one more time, then faced the crowd. It's girl, he said. Everyone started talking at once. Thomas got only pieces here and there. A girl? I got dibs. What's she look like? How old is she? Thomas was drowning in a sea of confusion. A girl? He hadn't even thought about why the glade only had boys, no girls. Hadn't even had the chance to notice, really. Who was she? He wondered why. Newt shushed them again. That's not bloody half of it, he said, then pointed down into the box. I think she's dead. A couple of boys grabbed some ropes made from ivy vines and lowered Albion Newt into the box so they could retry the girl's body. A couple of boys grabbed some ropes made from ivy vines and lowered Albion Newt into the box so they could retry the girl's body. A mood of reserved shock had come over most of the gladers who were milling about with salmon faces, kicking loose rocks and not saying much at all. No one dared admit they couldn't wait to see the girl, but Thomas assumed they were all just as curious as he was. Gally was one of the boys, holding onto the ropes ready to hoist her, Albie and Newt out of the box. Thomas watched him closely. His eyes were laced with something dark, almost a sick fascination. A gleam that made Thomas suddenly more scared of him than he'd been minutes earlier. From deep in the shaft came Albie's voice, shouting that they were ready, and Gally and a couple of others started pulling up on the rope. A few grunts later, and the girl's lifeless body was dragged out across the edge of the door and onto one of the stone blocks, making up the ground of the glade. Everyone immediately ran forward, forming a packed crowd around her, a palpable excitement hovering in the air. But Thomas stayed back. The eerie silence gave him the creeps, as if they'd just opened up a recently laid tomb. Despite his own curiosity, Thomas didn't bother trying to force his way through to get a look. The bodies were too tightly squeezed together, but he had caught a glimpse of her before being blocked off. She was thin, but not too small, maybe five and a half feet tall from what he could tell. She looked like she could be 15 or 16 years old, and her hair was star black. But the thing that had really stood out to him was her skin, pale, white as pearls. Newt and Albie scrambled out of the box after the hood, then forced their way through to the girl's lifeless body, the crowd reforming behind to cut them off from Thomas's view. Only a few seconds later, the group parted again and Newt was pointing straight at Thomas. Greenie, get over here, he said, not bothering to be polite about it. Thomas's heart jumped into his throat. His hands started to sweat. What did they want him for? Things just kept getting worse and worse. He forced himself to walk forward, trying to seem innocent, without acting like someone who was guilty, who was trying to act innocent. Oh, calm it, he told himself. You haven't done anything crazy, but he had a strange feeling that maybe he had without realizing it. The boys lining the path to Newt and the girl glared at him as he walked past, as if he were responsible for the entire mess of the maze and the glade and the cleavers. Thomas refused to make eye contact with any of them, afraid of looking guilty. He approached Newton Albee, who both knelt beside the girl. Thomas, not wanting to meet their stares, concentrated on the girl despite her paleness. She was really pretty. More than pretty. Beautiful. Silky hair, flawless skin, perfect lips, long legs. It made him sick to think that way about a dead girl, but he couldn't look away. Won't be that way for long, he thought with a queasy twist in his stomach. She'll start rotting soon. 
He was surprised at having such a morbid thought. You know this girl, Shank? I'll be asked, sounding ticked off. Thomas was shocked by the question. Know her? Of course I don't know her. I don't know anyone except for you guys. That's not... Abel began, then sobbed with a frustrated sound. I mean, does she look familiar at all? Any kind of feeling you've seen her before? No, nothing. Thomas shifted, looked down at his feet, then back at the girl. Albie's forehead creased. You are sure? He looked like he didn't believe a word, Thomas said. Seemed almost angry. What could he possibly think I have to do with this, Thomas thought. He met Albie's glare evenly and answered the only way he knew how. Yes, why? Shuck it, Albie muttered, looking back down at the girl. Can't be a coincidence. Two days, two greenies, one alive, one dead. Then Albie's words started to make sense and panic flared in Thomas. You don't think I... He couldn't even finish the sentence. Slim it, Greeny. Newt said, we're not saying you bloody killed the girl. Thomas's mind was spinning. He was sure he'd never seen her before. But then the slightest hint of doubt crept into his mind. I swear she doesn't look familiar at all, he said anyway. He'd had enough accusations. Are you? Before Thomas could finish, the girl shot up into a sitting position. As she sucked in a huge breath, her eyes snapped open and she blinked, looking around at the crowd surrounding her. Albie cried out and fell backward. Newt gasped and jumped up, stumbling away from the girl. Thomas didn't move. His gaze locked on the girl, frozen in fury. Burning blue eyes darted back and forth as she took deep breaths. Her pink lips trembled as she mumbled something over and over, indescribable. Then she spoke one sentence, her voice hollow and haunted with fear. Everything is going to change. Thomas stared in wonder as her eyes rolled up into her head and she fell back to the ground. Her right fist shot into the air as she landed, staying rigid after she grew still, pointing toward the sky. Clutched in her hand was a wadded piece of paper. Thomas tried to swallow but his mouth was too dry. Newt ran forward and pulled her fingers apart, grabbing the paper. With shaking hands, he unfolded it then dropped to his knees, spreading out the note on the ground. Thomas moved up behind him to get a look. Scrawled across the paper in thick black letters with five words. She's the last one. Ever. Some cliffhanger, isn't it? Like, just the day after Thomas, some girl shows up. And first she's dead. And then she says in a hollow voice that everything is going to change. And they get a note that she's the last one. Ever. What do you think about it? Is the girl going to live or is she already dead? Is it Thomas's fault? Let's meet next Sunday to see what happens next. Till then, bye.